Anyways, we want to welcome you to Asbury Church this morning. Uh, last week, we began our series, Arise to the Challenge. And uh, today, we are going to uh, do our next, um, our next week, so I think we're week two in now. Uh, last week, as we kicked it off, we, we recognized that God is calling us to a higher level. And part of our 50-day challenge is, is simply to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to, to living lives that honor Him and reflect His purpose. It's about developing disciplines that reflect that yes and properly position us uh, for the lives we were created for. And uh, the verse we began thinking around last week is actually found in Mark chapter 8, verses, uh, 30, beginning at verse 34, that says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory and with the holy angels. And so we, we, we hear this message of whoever would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Many, many times that we, when it comes to following Jesus, we're, we always like the easy and the fun and the exciting. Like, who doesn't get excited when, when, when you know, a few loaves of bread and a couple fish feed multitudes? Or when the sick are raised? Or, or, or where, you know, hope is, is found? And, and we, we love that aspect. And, and I want you to know that is a part of what Jesus brings to our world Yet in following Him, we recognize that there's a part that we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And so last week, as, as we began our discussion, we talked about the importance that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know what Jesus is asking. And, and, and you'll notice, even on the bookmarks that we handed out, that it says the Bible challenge, that we are challenging everyone through the course of this series to to read through the Gospels, all four of them. Because how, do we, how are we going to know how to follow Jesus if we don't listen to what He has to say? And we need to be listening to Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, but we need to be listening to Him throughout the week. And so I want to continue to challenge you to be a part of God's Word, to, to read and interact with God's Word on a daily basis. Now this morning, as we look at this week, Today we're going to talk about engaging the battle. And it, it, it's, it's a message that says that even as, as we go through life, there, there is a struggle or there is a battle that we have to engage. We have to be committed as followers of Jesus to do difficult things, to do them with energy and with determination. Because I think it's important that we understand that we are called to struggle on Christ's behalf. Now, Paul would talk to the church and, and he would use the language of warfare, the, the language of battles and the language of struggle. And I'm convinced that in following Jesus, there is an aspect of battling that we have to commit ourselves to. Yet that battle doesn't look like the way the world battles. Paul would write the church and say, 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That Paul says, listen, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. Now, one of the ways that we engage the battle, and this is our focus for this week, is in regards to prayer. And by prayer, I want you to understand that, that I want to talk about prayer more than just mere petition. I don't know about you, but, but, but I grew up and we would say, you know, our prayers, you know, at night. How many remember? And now I lay me down to sleep. I park the car across the street. If I die before I wake, I ask the Lord to set the break. You know, like that's the, you know, we, we grew up and we, we'd say prayers. And, and, and sometimes we, you know, we, we've grown, some people have grown up in traditions where, you know, the, a prayer is just uttered here and there. And, and it's just kind of like, it's something we say, you know, we're going to eat. So let's just say a prayer. And I want you to know, I think it's important for us to be praying. <coughs> Excuse me. And recognizing the value of being grateful. Yet I think prayer is so much more than just little words that are offered up. I believe that prayer is our opportunity as the church to engage in a battle. Uh, I remember growing up, my dad would preach and he would share from James chapter 5. And I can still hear his words, hear him as he would read it from the King James Version that the the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. The fervent effectual prayer. That there's something about God's people when they, they become focused and determined and earnest about praying. Not just mere petition, but prayer as a way in which to engage the battle that surrounds us in order to see the life and power of Christ manifest. And so as we look at engaging the battle, the big idea I want to think around is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus provides confidence to engage the battle. Now we're going to look at Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 14 through 29. And um, this, this is the passage of Scripture that, that follows what we talked about last week, and it happens in all three of the synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where after the question is asked, you know, who do people say I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, and there's all this excitement. And then the next phase comes in where Jesus is like, okay, so understand this is, my, this is the plan. This is the strategy going forward. And, uh, you know, it was suffering. It was rejection. It was dying. But then there'd be life again. And Peter's like, yeah, that's not what it's going to be. And Jesus said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of humanity. And sometimes, like Peter, we're more concerned about the things of humanity than the things of God. And then after that, you get this whole thing about take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Well, the story that happens immediately after that is Jesus, um, a few days later, is with his disciples, and they come to a mountain. And Jesus tells the majority of his disciples to wait, and he takes Peter, James, and John, if you remember, and he climbs the mountain. And while he's on the mountain, he's transfigured. And that just means that the glory that Jesus had before he came to earth as a babe was being manifest in his being, and he met with Elijah, and he met with Moses, and they began to discuss God's purpose and plan of redemption. When they come down the mountain, 
the disciples are there. And there's a crowd. And, and they've gathered around the disciples. And, and, and instead of like joy and stuff like that, all of a sudden, there's an air of tension. And this is what it says. <coughs> Excuse me. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, as we think about this story... I want you to note that in a broken world, people are looking for something to make a difference. You see, I think that if we were honest, if we looked at the world around us, we would recognize there is a sense of brokenness to it. Like, it's not just a geopolitical thing that can go on, or an ecological, or a financial. we got all that stuff kind of percolating out there that... Boy, we, we recognize something deep down is broken about humanity. And people struggle with it. They deal with broken hearts and broken relationships and broken bodies, and broken hopes and broken dreams. And, and, and we're trying to find a way to, to move forward. And, and, and it's not just one or two, but, but everybody wrestles with the brokenness that is just naturally a part of humanity. In our story, there's a father who's carrying an enormous burden because he has a son who is tormented, tormented, and he doesn't know what to do next. I'm sure for him, he had that sense of helplessness. Have you had that, that, that experience as a parent where all of a sudden, you know, you, you, there's something your kid goes through and, and it's just like that there's that sense that you feel like, what, what can I do? And you feel helpless and you feel frustrated. Um, I, I remember when Emily was just a couple years old. Um, it, we were getting ready for bed. The kids were getting ready for bed. Yeah, and um, I, I remember she, she was brushing her teeth. I wasn't upstairs at the time. I was downstairs. I think Rachel was upstairs. Um, all I remember is hearing my wife, hearing Rachel scream my name. I could tell by the tone of her voice it wasn't a um, Dave come correct the children. It, it was not a, hey, Dave, you know, hey, got a question for you, kind of way she spoke my name. There was pure panic in her voice. And she yelled for me. And I remember running upstairs to find in her arms our little Emily who was passed out. She was turning blue and blood was beginning to run from her nose. And we didn't know what to do. 
And I just remember in that moment, because Rachel just, she handed me Emily, and, and I'm just like, what do you do? Apparently, she had been either running, jumping, but she had a toothbrush, and apparently, she hit the nerve at the back of her uh, throat with it and reset. And she had a hard reset, which was she passed out and started all over, right? And, but, but as a dad and as a mom, what do you do? And, and you know, there's that, there's that sense of helplessness, and, and we, we thank Jesus, you know, it all turned out well at the end. There were no problems or complications. But I just, I just remember that moment so vividly as a dad. Oh, my goodness, what am I supposed to do for my kid? Could you imagine what this dad must have experienced? As he would watch his child every once in a while, with, for whatever reason, whatever moment, all of a sudden his child would just begin to, in a sense, convulse and fall to the ground and become rigid and, and, and all these things. And what do I do? He likely heard stories of Jesus and thought to himself, if I can just get him to Jesus, maybe, maybe he could do something about this. Yet because Jesus was up the mountain and his followers were just left down here, the disciples were given an opportunity to help. But the man's words are such a stinging indictment I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. I know in our culture, the way we picture and frame the world looks a little bit different than they do back in biblical times. Like if something like this would happen in our day, we, we would begin to diagnose it medically. We'd begin to ask the, the medical questions and we'd say, well, if we can just figure out those things and what's driving this. And, and sometimes we, we look at the language of scripture of the spirit piece and we're just like going, you know, may, maybe it's something different. Yet I think there's incredible utility, like usefulness in the idea if there's actually something spiritual going on and not always just something material. See, I think that there are, you know, we, we use language like this. We talk about the spirit of the age that we're a part of. How do we know that there is a spirit that, that kind of is reflective of the age that we're a part of? And, and I think it's so interesting because the spirit that was doing whatever to this child caused an incredible burden to a parent. And I know that there's some aspect of the spirit of our age today that is bringing incredible burden to parents. As they watch all the different things that are going on and, and, and the pressures that are being put upon children. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been battling with a cough all week, so I keep taking little things. I remember my place. Hold on. I have my phone on Facebook as I'm doing this, so I get to watch myself eat candy and drink. Dude, I look terrible. Wow. 
Thank you for your indulgence. <coughs> All right, got it. Anyways, we live in a culture that is, there's a spirit of an age that's being pushing things upon children that is burdening them enormously. Um, our children today are dealing with pressures. They're, they're dealing with um, fears. They're dealing with so much stuff. And I'm not convinced that the spirit of the age is really beneficial to our children. Just me. I think it's actually tormenting a ton of children. And part of the reason why I believe this is actually if you, you look at the, the rates of um, self-harm, depression, stuff like this in kids, uh, suicide in kids, attempted suicide, it just seems to keep going up. And it doesn't matter what the spirit of the age is pushing, it, it, just, it just seems to be just darkening the hearts and minds of kids. And... I know there's a lot of parents who are super concerned, incredibly concerned. I, so I'm a pastor, right? You all know this. Not everybody knows I'm a pastor, so this is always fun. So I always have conversations with people uh, who don't even know I'm a pastor. And I remember I was in, I was in a, a store, and I was just talking with the guy, because I talk with everybody. And he was so broke up because of his 11-year-old daughter what it was that she was hearing and what was being pushed upon her in school and how that darkened and, and he's just like, I don't know what to do with my daughter. And I think there's a terrible brokenness in our culture and I think part of it is we are, people are looking in so many different places for answers. And the question is, is what will the church be like in response to a broken world? You know what my concern is? My concern is like the disciples, that people will begin to investigate the claims of Christ, but then when they encounter the disciples and say, I got these problems, what can you do to help? And the statement just reflects what this father was dealing with. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus would go on to say in verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Listen, the thing that is going to change situations in brokenness, it's still Jesus. It's still Jesus. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the spirit that was 
When they brought him close to Jesus, it just seemed to get worse. And let me tell you, there are times as the church begins to address the brokenness of a culture that it is going to feel like it gets worse rather than better. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like that? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What's interesting is Jesus' response in this portion of the, the text. Because Jesus begins by saying, you unbelieving generation, because this is what Jesus knows. That faith prepares the space for transformation to happen. And and when faith is not present, neither is transformation. Now, I'm grateful that Jesus still wants to touch and change broken and battered lives. It was the whole reason he came. And Jesus wants wants us to understand that everything is possible for the one who believes, that, that faith begins to create the atmosphere for transformation to happen. And I believe that God still wants to do amazing things. I love the man's response because he responds much like I feel like I respond. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Anybody here have moments like that? Like you believe... But there are moments you're like, God, just help me overcome my unbelief because I'm really struggling in this moment. You see, I believe that we need to be a people of faith. I believe that we need to be a church that creates an atmosphere for something to happen. And so what do we believe? What do we believe? I believe that Jesus came to rescue and to redeem broken lives. The reason Jesus came is for brokenness. Not only that, he died and rose again to demonstrate his power over any situation and circumstance. He died and rose again to demonstrate to us that he hears and sees our need. He cares about it enough to come, and he is greater than that which we struggle with. And we need to be a people that allow faith to arise in our hearts. That, you know, we need to say, God, in the midst of a broken culture, would you give us a faith that is greater? You see, I believe it's time for the church to bring faith to the problem. And even when we are in the midst of our brokenness and we feel like our faith is not enough and we say with the Father, I believe but help my unbelief. I think that we need to make sure that we remain a part of a community where people can surround us and help bring faith when we wrestle with ours. So faith prepares the space for transformation to happen. Verse 25 says this, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, the deaf and the mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. 
And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hands and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. The only way this is going to come out is if there's people who've prayed. You see, Jesus was helping his his followers understand that something needed to precede the moment. Something needed to go before the moment to precede the moment. There was a battle that needed to be won in the secret place before it could be won in the public place. Something needed to be battled in the spiritual before it would be manifest in the material. This is why I think that if we are going to arise to the challenge, we need to be a people who pray. Because prayer enables the followers of Jesus to make a difference in a broken world. And again, these prayers are more than just mere little petitions that we rise up. This is about a people that, that, that struggle and intercede and, and, and are those who are willing to stand up and take battle on behalf of others, to stand in the gap. It's really the way we've been called to battle. Paul, in writing to the church of Ephesus, if you remember, he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, that that if you're going to be able to stand and move as a church in these days, you need to be clothed with the power of God. You need need to have his armor upon you. And then he talks about you need to have the, the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And then after that, he goes on to say, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. That there's a need for us to be a church that prays. Now, why do we pray? Because prayer addresses the issues that we are wrestling with, with the one who can change anything. Not only that, the reason that we pray, why prayer is needed, why pray is it builds faith in the prayer. We, we said that, that faith is necessary to provide the atmosphere for change to take place. When we begin to pray, when we begin to intercede, there's faith that begins to arise in our hearts. Not only that, <coughs> excuse me, faith sets something powerful into motion. Set, faith, um, the prayer begins to, to, to move things, even things we can't see. How many know prayer can reach places we can't go? This is why we pray. Prayer can do things. It can lift things we can't lift. Prayer begins to work, and this is why we need to be a people who pray. Not only that, it allows us to join the struggle. Romans 15.30 tells us, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. That the way that we join the struggle, the the thing that people are wrestling with in a broken world is when we pray with them and we pray for them, we begin to join the struggle. And because of it, prayer enables the followers of Christ to make a difference in a broken world. So this week's challenge, 
is actually we actually have to become, I believe, more intentional about prayer. Not just prayer as petition or just kind of like I'm going to just... Prayer as a sense that, you know what? In praying, I'm beginning to make a difference. But by praying, I can begin to help impact the world and the people around me. So the challenge is to begin your day with a minimum of 10 minutes of focused prayer. Now, if you have your little bookmark that I gave you, one side was the Bible reading, the other is the prayer challenge. I I want you to, this is how I want you to spend your at least 10 minutes a day praying. The way you begin your prayer time is you begin by looking up. You see, we have to adjust our gaze. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, how did his prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven. He's like, listen, you need to get your eyes up. And the reason I believe this is so important is because sometimes in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the junk that's going on around us, it can seem really, really big. And in the moment of the battle, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we going to magnify? Are we going to magnify the problem or are we going to magnify the one who can change everything? It was David who said uh, in, in Psalms, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so part of this time of prayer that if we're going to be people who pray and make a difference through our praying, we have to be intentional about looking up. One of the ways we do this is through our praise and adoration. Where we begin, to be, where we begin our prayer time with, with just a, a remembrance, a reflection upon who God is and what it is He has done. Now, I'm going to share an opinion. This is not a sermon part. I mean, it is a sermon part, but this is an opinion. You guys ready for it? Ready for it. How many are ready for it? Okay, good, some of it. I believe, this is me, I believe that our prayers need to get louder. I know a lot of times when we pray, we we pray in our mind or we pray quietly. Sometimes when we worship, we worship in our mind and we worship quietly. And sometimes we're doing it because there's a, for for some, there's a sense of fear because what fear is, is this, what if someone hears me? How many have that fear before? How many of you ever like, dude, if somebody could hear me sing, they'd tell me to stop. Can I get a witness on that? Who's sitting next to someone you wanted to tell them that this morning? I'm just kidding, don't. Jim, Jim, put your hand down. I'm just kidding, Jim was up here. Cheryl was making his hand go up. The, uh, sometimes we, we don't want to speak out loud because out loud we're afraid of what someone else might hear or what they might think. And you know what that's doing? That's robbing us of faith. Do you know what fear is? Fear, fear begins to cause faith to shrivel. 
it causes us to be more focused on ourselves than on God. Some of you now, you're like, going, oh, dude, this is a stretch. This is, again, this is my opinion. This is that our prayers need to be out loud. I could take you through a whole bunch of Bible verses, and you'll find out that faith is actually something that, that, that speaks out. There's a vocalization that takes place with faith. And I think part of this idea of being a people that, that are praying and praising and then getting our eyes up, that, that all of a sudden it's not just the eyes that are going up, but, but we're engaging the up. Like we're lifting our hands to Him. We're, 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 we're lifting our focus. We're lifting our voices because the up is the direction we need. And so I want to challenge you as you pray, as you worship, get a little louder. This is my thought along with this. If we have a hard time vocalizing in a place that's filled with people that love Jesus and love you, how are we ever going to give voice in a world that is hostile to Christ? So, church is practice, folks. And you guys are ridiculously silent in this moment. You're like, dude, man, I am not saying anything. If we're going to pray or as we pray, we need to look up. We need to turn it up too. I should add that one, turn it up. Put it to 11. Okay, no. Don't go to 11. That might be a little excessive. If you're a three, go to a four. Sorry. Secondly, we need to line up. See, prayer isn't about moving God as much as it is about moving us. I'm going to say that again. Prayer isn't so much about moving God as it is about moving us. Where we begin to align our hearts and our lives with God's kingdom and His will. It was Jesus who taught His disciples to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about our alignment. When we are misaligned, okay, when we are not in line with God's will, when we're not in line with God's word, we are robbing ourselves of God's grace and His power. This is why repentance has always been a part of prayer. The idea for repentance is the recognition there's something about me that needs to change in the presence of God. And part of our prayer is about aligning ourselves, our hearts and lives with God's kingdom and His will. Did you know that Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of His miracles had been performed? The reason He denounced them to speak woe upon them was because they did not repent. They liked the good feelings, but they were unwilling to change. I think our prayer time is part of the time where we acknowledge our need to change, where we begin to line up with God's Word. Our prayers will always be ineffective when our, when our lives are misaligned with God's will. So part of our prayer time needs to be about looking up and it's about saying, okay, God, would you help me live in line with your word 
in line with your will. And then the next part is to lift up, to bring our needs before the throne of grace, to come with confidence. It's about coming where we begin to pray with both compassion and fervency. As we begin to think about the needs of those around us, because I don't know about you, but I got people in my life that need the grace of God to meet them. I'm a, I'm a parent too. I'm praying for my kids all the time. All the time. I watch my, so I'm so grateful to have John and Steph so close. And there are times where I leave the house and John will have stopped by the house and John will leave at the same time and he's in one car and I'm in another car and I just like, Jesus, would you just bless my son? Pour out blessings. Because you know what I want for my kids? I want the grace of God to be poured out upon their lives. God, would you keep and protect them? And you see, there's something that happens when we tap into compassion in our prayers. When we begin to understand that, you know what, we care deeply about these people. Their lives matter. And it's not just our children. This is all people. Listen, we need to pray with compassion. Our hearts need to break for the people around us. Not only pray with compassion, but also fervency. God, I just need you to undertake for them. God, we need you to move. God, we need you to touch. The last thing, as a part of the prayer time, it's about living out. It's about committing to represent Jesus in practical ways as answer to prayer. One of the things I learned a long time ago, many of the answers or a part of the answer to the things that I'm praying, a part of the answer looks at me in the mirror every time I look at it. Did you know that as God puts things on your heart, Part of the reason he's putting it on your heart is because he wants you to do something as a part of it. Not necessarily the whole thing, but what is your part? Because I think that we need to live as people who are not only praying in private, but saying, okay, how do I live out this prayer? How do I live out this relationship with Christ? How do I let the, the love and grace of God be seen in and through me? Because we live in a broken world. And they're looking for someone. They're looking for something that will make a difference. And I'm convinced that even as you begin to pray, as you set time at the beginning of your day to pray, as you say, okay, God, I want to be, I want to be a messenger of hope in this broken world. Don't be surprised as God's going to start bringing people across your path that you get to pour into his love, pour his grace and his love into them. We have to live it out. You see, in a broken world, people are looking for something to make a difference. What a shame it would be if the world came, the broken came to our church and said, you know what? There was nothing. They couldn't do anything. And the reason nothing happened is because no one was praying. See, it's our part.
It's our turn. So grateful that we have so many wonderful people in our church who pray. Who lift up these services on a regular basis. Who pray for God to do something. Because listen, if, if we're not praying, we're not going to see God do what He longs to do. Because sometimes in confronting the spirit of the age, it's going to take more than just good looks and nice people. We're going to need the power of God working in our hearts and lives. It's going to require us to do work in secret before anything's made public. We need to be a people who pray. So may we engage the struggle. May we engage the battle. May we arise to the challenge. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're here in this place. And that, Lord, you want to do something in us and through us. God, we live in a world that is darkened by sin. Lord, we know that there is a spirit in this age that is wrecking and ruining children and families. And God, we need your grace to be at work in and through us. God, you care about the broken. Father, would you forgive us for our indifference? Lord, would you forgive us for trying to do things in our own strength? God, would you forgive us for our prayerlessness? God, we need you. God, we need your grace at work in us. Spirit of God, breathe, revive, empower, that, Lord, we might rise up Lord, we might arise to the challenge. It's our turn to pray, folks. I want you to know that I love you. Praying with you. God wants to do something in our hearts and in our lives, but not just in us, but through us. In a moment, the worship team's going to lead us in a song. Maybe you're here and you're just you're wrestling with some things, some brokenness. Maybe you're in the place, you're like, oh, you know what, I believe, but oh, God, I need, I need you to help my unbelief. 
I want to believe with you this morning. So as the worship team leads us, if you would like prayer, I'm going to stand down here at the front. I'd love to pray with you. I want to believe with you. Because we need God. We need His grace and we need His mercy.